With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Before I have wrestling legend jumping Jim Brunzel of WWE and AWA fame, I just want to say we've had some news, breaking news in the last hour or so. And it's that Adrian Street, adorable Adrian Street, has passed away at the age of 82. Such sad news. An innovator, pioneer. He set the tone for many androgynous characters in pro wrestling after him. And it's just such a shame. It's such a shame that he's passed. So, yeah, just wanted to do a little tribute before I go live with Jim Brunzel and uh, our thoughts and condolences to Miss Linda as well. Asian Street has passed away at the age of 82 today. Chopper Joe, it's an absolute pleasure. And can I just sing one line of your entrance music, please, sir, before we get going? <laughs> He's go the Mount. He's the Mountie he got under my skin when I was a kid, but he always <laughs> got his man. There you go. There you go. Just, just brief, just brief. But yeah, no, don't, don't, hi Stewie. Don't, don't quit your day job. Don't go into. Uh, you're not. You're not. You're not wrong. You're not wrong there. Yeah, I'll stick to podcasting. That's uh, yeah. I'm never gonna be out in the UK. I just want to shout out to uh, to all you guys and say thank you to Stewie because you know what? I love this podcast and. And remember, Stewie, the Mountie always gets his man. You're listening to Stew's Wrestling Podcast. It's time. Your host, Stew Palmer. Well, have I got a treat? For you guys today, it is 80s and 90s wrestling legend all the way from Minnesota. It is Mr. Jumping Jim Brunzel on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today. What a pleasure. What an honor. I did watch you when I was younger. I caught the tail end of WWE, obviously. And it's just an honor to have you on Stu's Wrestling Podcast, Jim. Well, Stu, you must be pretty old if you watched me when you were younger. But uh, also, I'd like to send my condolences to Adrian Street's uh, wife and uh, me. Rest in peace. You know, like I mentioned before, he was uh, we never traveled in the same lanes and I had heard of him, but I, I didn't know him or I never met him. So 
too bad. So sad, so sad, honestly, yes. man. But yeah, it's uh, what we did for pro wrestling. You know, a guy of his stature, you know, who's smaller than a lot of the guys. So to get over in that time, you know, at that size is just incredible. And yeah, yeah, very, very sad. But Jim, I'm going to get into some questions for you first because a friend of okay. mine over in Milwaukee, Justin Clapper, has sent in a lot of questions. A lot of them are geared towards AWA. And the first one is here. I'm going to get it up on screen right now for you. AWA is my favorite promotion. I know a lot of current fans dog AWA. Can you please tell me a few of the best things about wrestling for him? And this is for my friend Justin Clapper, Jim, and he's a huge, huge fan of yours. Well, you know, I I, I was broke in uh, by Vern Gagne, uh, who was co-owner of the AWA. And at that time, you know, this was in the early 1970s, uh, you look at, you know, there was 26 different territories in this country, in the United States, where you could wrestle outside, you know, and also in Canada. And uh, the AWA uh, was, to me, at that time, the cream of the crop. And, you know, I mean, you look, uh, the, the greatest thing about the AWA, Stu, was the fact that, you know, <clears throat> being that our, our winters are so long in the Midwest and, and Minnesota, et cetera, Vern and Wally realized that. So they didn't book a lot into the late spring and summer. So we had, instead of working, you know, 27 days a month like we did in the WWE for three and a half years straight, uh, we only worked about 12 times a month, and we made good money. They had great talent. They had Nick Bockwinkel, Vern Gagne, Billy Robinson. Oh, gosh, uh, Baron Von Raschke. The greatest of all, I thought, was Bobby Heenan, uh, who <laughs> he could do anything. And, uh, you know, Greg and I uh, had a great opportunity, you know, to wrestle guys like Pat Patterson, Ray Stevens, uh, Bobby Duncombe. Blackjack Lanza, you know, Buddy Wolf. It, it, it was just a great area to work, you know, and you, and you learn there was only like 14 guys. So it wasn't like the WWE where they had 60 guys and, you know, 20, and they ran three towns a night in the New York and they had 20 guys in each town. So it was, uh, you know, <laughs> eh, AWA was great. I, 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 it was my home. I, I'm, I had to leave it because uh, when Hulk left the AWA uh, and Vince took over all the wrestling, there was, if you wanted to make money, you had to go to the WWE, period. That was it. Do, do you think Hulk did them dirty? You know, when he left, there's been a lot of scrutiny about that at the time. Uh, you know, he, he was doing what was best for him. But, you know, they he, had, he, had he said to them, had he give them reassurances? Because I've read stuff over the years, uh, you know, to Vern, that he was going to stay. What's your perception of it with Hulk? Well, I think that, to, to be honest, this is my own fe feeling, is that uh, Vern was a, a very uh, egotistic man, and he had his ideas on who he wanted to represent the AWA as far as his champion. He was an All-American boy, All-American national champ, you know, wrestled in the Olympics. And I think it would have been a little too hard for him to acknowledge Hulk Hogan, a big muscular guitar player from Tampa, Florida, as the AWA champion. That's just my own feeling. But uh, And I think, you know... <laughs> I think that was the reason why uh, Hulk never got the, 
got the belt. And, you know, it all worked out great for him because, uh, you know, he was the golden goose that uh, you know, sent forth, uh, you know, uh, Hulkamania and WrestleManias and uh, really, really uh, put pro wrestling on the top. Absolutely. Absolutely. Justin Clapper again, Jim. Everybody asks about teaming with Greg and Brian. But how was teaming with Mike George? I don't hear enough about the timekeeper. Any good stories? And that's from Justin Clapper again. Huge, huge fan of yourself and the AWA. Well, you know, I was in the AWA for about six months. And this was like 73. And they sent me down to Central States uh, Wrestling, which was based in Kansas City, Missouri. And it was run by Pat O'Connor and Bob Geigel. And there was another young, big baby face from St. Joe, Missouri, by the name of Mike George. So they decided to put Mike and I together, and we had a heck of a team. And Mike was a hell of a worker. And, uh, you know, he, he, he went to Oklahoma after we broke up, and I went back to the AWA. He, he went to Oklahoma, and I think he wrestled in Texas a little bit, but... Uh, I've still tried to get a hold of him, just see how he's doing. But uh, yeah, he was a marvelous guy, and we had a heck of a team. Uh, we beat Roger Kirby and Lord Alfred Hayes in 1973 for the Central States Heavyweight Tag Team Championship, and uh, we had a good little run. And, and Kansas City, you know, the the territory uh, was more or less a seven day a week. Uh, adventure <laughs> and you drove just about every place you know i mean <clears throat> like they had monday which uh tuesday topeka kansas and then i think wednesday they had a spot show and then thursday they had kansas city friday they had st louis and um st joe missouri and then saturday they always had a iowa town and sunday iowa town and then you start over again so it was uh, a unique place to go because I, I got to meet um, the Funk brothers and also the Briscoe brothers. And I watched them, you know, all the time in the ring and I learned from them. And, and uh, you know, it was a great uh, education for me to be there. And Mike was a great guy and is. I don't know how he's doing. I, I'm gonna, I've am gonna. i been trying to get a hold of him, but nobody's got any numbers on him. So I, I'm, I might even call the St. Joe, Missouri police and see if they can get, <laughs> get me through to him. <laughs> If you can get an answer, Jim, any by hook or by crook, any means necessary to get hold of you, absolutely, absolutely. And the questions keep coming, I'm telling you. Okay. This is, from, this is from Joe Lowry, a friend of mine. He's from Boston. He's had his own podcast over the years. Living in Iowa now is Joe. Great guy. Uh, elder, elder than me, you know, watched it a lot longer <laughs> than me pro wrestling. My question for Jim Brunzel, who would he consider his best tag partner to work with? Greg Gagne or Brian Blair, thanks. Hashtag what a day. Well, I want to clarify this right off the bat. My best tag team partner was my wife, Mary, of 48 years. <laughs> but now, getting, you know, it's hard to say because Greg and I had a different atmosphere to work with. You know, like I said, we had 14, 16 guys in the AWA. Everybody knew their position. And, you know, we had great talent to work with. And and in the WWE, Brian and I had, you know, a lot of guys to work with, but everybody was worried about, you know, looking bad and they didn't want to do this and they didn't want to do that. So consequently, the matches weren't very good. 
So I, I, I think as far as success was concerned, you know, Greg and I, we were two-time AWA World Take Team Champions. It doesn't get any better than that. And we were a professional uh, wrestling illustrated uh, uh, tag team of the year, I think it was 1982 or something like that. And, and Brian and I had a tough road to go. Brian's a great wrestler and we had a great tag team and we had, you know, great matches, but for some reason or another, you know, Mr. McMahon, and I, I know one of the reasons why, uh, because he and I didn't get along, uh, both uh, politically <laughs> and business wise. And I knew, uh, I'll tell you a little, uh, story and this is a true story i started there on uh, june 26 1985 and i flew into newark uh new jersey and i got on a small plane with a big old guy and his name was jim morris hillbilly jim morris and we flew into poughkeepsie and that was the first day of tv so they're doing an interview, and, and Gene Oakland, who had left the AWA for the WWE, he and I were, you know, like brothers. So he had just a real babyface interview with me, you know, and just talking about my past and, you know, how excited I was to come to the WWE. So I give a regular babyface interview, and as I'm walking away, I hear Vince McMahon say, Oh, God, we got another backland. So when I heard that, and I thought, well, geez, Bob Backlund was a world <laughs> world champion for five years. So maybe that way. And then I thought right away, you know, no, because I, I know Vince Jr. really didn't care for Bobby because he didn't want, a, you know, all-American type wrestler. He wanted a gimmick wrestler to, you know, so he could sell, you know, gifts or not gifts, but all the doggone memorabilia, you know, uh, that uh, he wound up selling for Hulk and the rest of us, too. I just uh, how how it was, wasn't it? But yeah, just interesting to hear about that and then Vince's psyche with it. But yeah, just uh, absolutely, absolutely. Another one here, Jim from Porfirio Cantu Jr. Ask him how hard it was to break the glass ceiling at WWF while he was there. Was it impossible? And how much was politics? I'm sure you know you can go into a bit more depth there on the politics side. Well, I, you know, there was 60 guys in the WWE at this time. And, you know, all the uh, Vince had sucked all the talent out from everybody, you know, Texas, AWA, Florida, Georgia, you know, Canada. I mean, he had it all. And uh, Vince was, uh, he didn't want to follow the old format of pro wrestling. He didn't want to go from match to match to match to crescendo to build the houses up because, you know, he had all these towns, you know, I mean, he had, <laughs> you know, three towns a night, you know, for, for the whole year. So he never went to a match and then had a finish of a match. I hope you can't hear my cat, but that's Bruce in the background. That's my son's cat and, and his name is Bruce and he can play the guitar. So, um, <laughs> Getting back, you know, it was it was just uh, a lot harder uh, in the AW or in the WWE because unless Vince really took a liking to you, um, you know, you struggled. You know, we were more or less uh, promised the belts a couple different times, 
and it never happened. We had great matches with a lot of guys. We had <laughs> we had great matches with the Hearts, uh, the Rougeos, um, you name it. And uh, it just it never happened. So it was a little discouraging for Brian and I. And consequently, um, it was time to clean house. Uh, I believe it was in 1988 or 89. So they, Brian just says, well, I'm leaving. So he went back, back and he, you know, had a couple, he owned three Gold's gyms in Tampa, Florida. So he was set. But I still, I had my own business in my hometown of White Bear Lake, Minnesota, Stu. It was called Jumpin' Jim Brunzel's Gym. So I had a 5,000 square foot, you know, building and I had, you know, 550 members and I needed added money to keep that thing going. So I had to stay at the WWE, which, you know, was not very good for me because uh, Vince took advantage of me and, uh, you know, I let him do it, but I needed the money. So I think I wound up there. My last match was in 93 or 94. So, and I, I'll never forget what he said to me. He says, he said, Jeremy says, no matter what you do, you're going to be a success. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I felt like saying, thanks a lot, Vince, because pro wrestling doesn't prepare you for anything. And that's a question that I think you should ask all wrestlers, Stu, because it doesn't. I mean, you work your ass off for your career, whether it be 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and if you don't save enough to put away, you know, at the end of the line, there's nothing there. And and what does wrestling as a profession offer you? What does the WWE or the AEW offer you? I don't know. I don't know if they have, you know, if they have some sort of um, hospitalization, insurance plan, retirement. I doubt it. But so the guys are, even though the guys now are making, you know, a ton of money. I mean, I see some of these guys are making three, four, five million a year with the WWE. And, and I think Brian and my biggest year was like $120,000 $120, and we wrestled, you know, uh, almost 300 times during the year to get it. It's crazy, isn't it? Just like, obviously, how much they get now. Yeah. Yes. Look, at, look, at, look at Brock Lesnar's contract. For so many dates, he's got yep. the best. He's, he's got the best contract in pro wrestling. I know, it's incredible. Well, it's good incredible. for him. Yeah, I remember. I, I remember talking to him before when he was still an amateur. You know, he was from Minnesota, and he was a great champion and a tough kid and a great, uh, you know, amateur wrestler. And I just said, hey, you know, if you want to go to the Olympics, or if you want to do something more in, you know, amateur wrestling, I says, you know, the pro wrestling will be there for you at the end. And he, he, you know, he's gobbled it up and he's, he's been very fortunate and um, he's done extremely well. So he's one of the few that could probably just walk away and say, eh, I don't need it. I, I, I know, I don't know the, the, the pays, you know, schedule now for these guys, but I'm sure they're, you know, a lot of them are up in the millions a year 
And, you know, Hulk Hogan was the highest paid athlete in 1985. He made $10 million. And I don't know if you remember, but it was Sports Illustrated. I have it someplace in my catalogs downstairs. It had a big picture of Hulk. And it said, sports top kahuna. And, you know, highest paid, $10 million. And and when Hulk was in his prime there, you know, in 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, he was getting $50,000 a week in money from this T-shirts, you know, the revenue, merchandise, 50 grand. What would that be in today's money, Jim? Oh, God. If, if we're working on today's inflation... It'd probably be like, 150, 150, 200,000 a, a that week. Was, that, was, <laughs> that was big money back then. Oh, it, it, it was. More then, you know, astronomical even back then. And, and you know, he got he got 10 or 12% of the gate, every gate when he was wrestling. And then he also got a million dollars for every pay-per-view. So, you know, he was doing well. But I, I and I'll mention this briefly, I... I got involved with Gene Upshaw, who was the president of the uh, NFL Football's Union. And I had told him that I had talked to some people about pr- trying to get a, a union for wrestling because it really needed it, not only for the pace, but also for, you know, hospitalization. You know, if you got hurt in wrestling, you, you, you know, goodbye. And then you'd have to pay for your own surgery. So um, Gene Upshaw told me, he says, Jim, he says, if you get involved with this, he says, you're going to run into a lot of hard-nosed people and, and it's going to be tough on you. And I said, well, you know, I'm getting towards the end of my career. And, and I know Jesse Ventura did a little bit, but, um, you know, Vince fired me three times and, and I, um, it's, it's just too bad. And like I say, I have no idea how it is working for the AEW or the WWE now. Uh, all I can say is that briefly watching both uh, programs, they both look the same to me. <laughs> Nobody's there's no good guy. There's no you know everybody's a badass. Everybody's gonna kick their ass, and you know it. And 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 then, and then you watch their matches, and there's 50 high spots in a row, you know, with 20 false finishes, and then a guy runs in, and then uh, you know everybody runs into the ring, and boom, boom, mayhem, and oh my god. You know, and and it's just it's the the art of pro wrestling is gone, really. Absolutely, that's my Jim, that's my opinion. Jim, we've had some live comments as well because we're going live on the social media. My good pal Mike Angus here in the UK lives in Liverpool. R.I.P. Okay. R.I.P. Adrian Street. Great to see you interviewing Jumping Jim. Thank you, Mike. And then we've got Jack Reynolds, who's down in the south of England. Afternoon, gents, from Jack Reynolds, Jim. Hey, Jack, how's it going? What time is it there, Stu? It's uh, just coming up for 3.15, quarter past three UK time, Jim. Okay. And then Jay uh, Brony, who's done a lot with pro wrestling on the East Coast. I know he does stuff with Paul Roma, uh, with Paradise. Oh, okay. So yeah. Jay's involved with that. He's worked in the business for years. Uh, hey. Great, great. Great, great guy. Good morning, Stu and Jim. Well, Jay, thanks for listening. <laughs> and, th- and then just the final one in the comments, on the live comments, it's Lewis Young from Scotland up in Falkirk there. Hey, all. Hello, Lewis. Hey, Lewis. 
My wife is just watching the end of uh, Outlander. And I think that was Scottish uh, ancestry that went from there on. So she loves it. So <laughs> hey, you hey, go, Lewis. there you go, Lewis. Full circle there. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Jim, we've got a question from Oscar Castillo that he sent in a few days ago. How was it working with big territorial acts, LOD, Brainbusters, and those tag teams from our region? Uh, you know, uh, Legion of Doom, which was the Road Warriors, were hard to work with because uh, they had established, established a persona that they were the baddest guys in town. And if they sold a little bit or if they put their opponent over a little bit, they thought it hurt their cred. So it was extremely hard working with them. Uh, Greg and I had a couple match with this. Let's see, I think it was in Winnipeg. And it was, it, it turned out pretty good. And then I, I know that when um, the warriors, the road warriors came to Vince Vince gave him the name of Legion of Doom, and they just sputtered around. I, I think that the fact that Vince didn't create him uh, had a, had an effect on you know them getting built up and you know making bigger bigger gates and houses and more money etc. And and it's a shame that both of them have passed away at such a young age. I, you know Mike and Joe. You know, we're good guys, and holy smokes! I mean, you know, when you're you're dropping off like that, it's you never know. Every day is a gift. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Because Hawk had cleaned himself up as well, hadn't he? You know, more latterly, he'd really got himself straight, and then it just it caught up with him, blessing. But yeah, I, I was a huge fan of LOD when I was a kid. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Well, they were very impressive, that's for sure. They used, they used to say, and we're going to come and kick the shit out of you, and they did. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got another one. I've got another one from JC here. How did your relationship with Vern and Greg change after the moves to WWF, WWE? Well, here's, here's a story not known to many people, but um, before I left the AWA, I went to Vern. And I told him, I says, you know, Vern, I says, things are getting rough around here. You know, Hulk's gone. Everybody's gone. And, and um, you know, I need to make some more money. And I need, I, I'd like to have a personal contract with you for, for me a year so I can, you know, make ends meet. And he says, well, how much do you want? And I said, $95,000. And this was 1985. And he says, he says, go to New York, you're not worth it. So that sort of broke my heart, you know, after being, but that's, that's the sort of guy Vern was. He was very egotistical in business, you know, you know. <laughs> uh, but so I, I went to New York and I, I never looked back and I, I know I, I burnt a couple bridges and, and you know, Greg, uh, after I left, I mean, the AWA just, they couldn't do anything. They tried, uh, you know, working something in Vegas and, just didn't work they just didn't have the talent so that was it absolutely without enough cheers for that one jc absolutely perfirio canto jr again here jim what a great working team he's alluding to the killer bees obviously okay. there. they put the work in and they help keep wwf in the limelight great tag team what a great working team they put the work in and they help 
WWE keep in the line. Like, it's, I've double, I've pasted this in twice, but yeah. So it's just alluding to how strong you know the tag division was. It was the best time for tag wrestling. It's never been, it's never been as hot as when you guys were in it, man. That's I've always said that. I've always maintained that. That was, and the Killer Bees, you know, was a very unique team because we were doing something never done before by a babyface team, and that's using a heel gimmick with the mask, you know, to put the mask on and, you know, confuse our opponents and and win a match, and it, it got over like a son of a gun, and it's just too bad it didn't get over with Vince. But, uh, uh, you know, we had, I think we... I, I remember we had a match with the hearts in Buffalo on TV. And it was the first time we used the mask and we pulled an upset off and beat them. And I, I don't, it wasn't a championship match, but the crowd went crazy. My God, it went crazy. And, uh, you know, Vince could have made a fortune having, uh, you know, killer B mass, but he never did. He never went for it. You know, I thought, Jesus, you know, here is a brand new gimmick. You know, those masks, they could have sold for, you know, 15 bucks or 20 bucks and sold a fortune. But he, 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 I don't know. He just, uh, he, he wanted to control, you know, what he wanted. And we've also got another, just, <laughs> Justin Clapper said to me previous, right, he said, please don't make me look like a mark, but he's just a huge, huge fan. He's AWA, he's always sending me stuff, clips of all the old matches, man. So I said, you're not sure. a mark. I said, you're not a mark. I said, you've been in the business yourself. I don't class him as a mark. And here, <laughs> here we go. What were your thoughts on wrestling for Herb Abrams, UWF? And he's also said, thank you for the opportunity to ask some of these questions. Not a problem, JC. I know Jim's loving this. Well, I I, I enjoy it because it brings back memories. But Herb Abrams was a real strange guy. You know, he had some money and he was he was a wild son of a gun. And he, uh, you know, he, he wanted to promote this and he wanted to do that. And I remember wrestling um, in Vegas. And I think it was at, um, <laughs> it was at the big Dagon. I'm trying to think of the name of it, the hotel. <clears throat> it burned down, but they re redid it. And, and you know, he had about 8,000 people in this uh, auditorium that probably held, you know, 15. But, uh, you know, Herb was sort of a dreamer. And, and you know, uh, we won the, the whatever it was, the UWF uh, Tag Team Championship belts. And we went to Hawaii for a, a show and, and did a couple more shows in Vegas. And, uh, you know... <clears throat> Herb was a dreamer, and um, he he just really didn't have the wherewithal to compete with Vince. You know, Vince, the reason why Vince was so successful when he first came out against the other territories, he had Dick Ebersol, who was a producer for ABC Wide World of Sports, and he ran the TV, Dick Ebersol, and he made that TV, which cost about, between one hundred and fifty and two hundred thousand dollars a show, he sh he presented that you know to the the world, where the rest of the small little you know uh, <laughs> territories you know like the AWE you know they spent twenty five hundred dollars on a Saturday TV presentation for an hour, so when people saw that that tremendous you know <laughs> TV show with all the different cameras and angles and everything else and, and the music and everything, it, it, there was just no comparison. 
So that's where Vince really got ahead of everybody. I'll tell you what, the Dark Side of the Ring episode on Herb, oh my days. <laughs> it's, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. Like, I couldn't believe what we're seeing. But yeah, I do find with the Dark Side of the Ring, though, Jim, I think some of the episodes at 40, 45 minutes aren't long enough, you know. Yeah, well, there's there's so much to tell and, and, and there's so many viewpoints and, you know, wrestling, pro wrestling was, you know, it, it was good to me, but it, it's going to, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. So, and, and, you know, there's a lot of different things, just like any other society, any other business in society, Stu, you got drugs, you got alcohol, you got sex. You know, you got all this stuff going around and, you know, you're basically, uh, you know, you have an advantage because you're on TV. And, you know, the problem was when you, like I mentioned before, when you have a workload where you're working 25 days a month and you're, the wives are at home with your kids trying to, you know, raise them properly and then you get home for three days. First day you rest. Second day, you know, you go out with the family. And third day, you got to pack up and get ready to go again for three weeks. So that's the way it went. And and like I said, my best tag team partner was my wife because I don't know how she did it. I mean, <laughs> she, you know, she ran my business for another year and a half uh, while I was gone, my gym business, and then raised our kids. And, you know, both of my kids were are very successful you know, got their master's degree and, um, you know, I, I'm just so blessed, really. How how was it psychologically for you with that, you know, with, it, with how many days you're on the road? How were you psychologically, you know, missing the family and stuff? This oh, God. Yeah. Well, he, here's the deal. At that point, if you're a wrestler and you're in the prime of your career, you've got to do that because there's no other place you can go. And like I said, wrestling doesn't prepare you for nothing because it's year long. You don't have an off season. So unless you want to work at a gym or you want to work for the WWE or you want to work for the AEW as an agent or something, or you can work in, in um, <laughs> at a, a arena or you can work in a bar. You know, a lot of guys will get a bar or something like that and do fairly well. But it, it, it's just hard you know, getting ahead. So you can just say, Hey, you know, I, you know, I'm 50 years old. I can't wrestle anymore. You know, <laughs> I know I'm going to, I'm like, I've, I've, I've had 12 surgeries since wrestling. I've had both. I've had six operations on my knees. I've had both my knees replaced. I had one replaced three times. Uh, I've had both shoulders replaced. Um, and I've had a hip replaced. And then I, I've had uh, work done on my elbow for um, a depressed nerve. So, you know, I mean, I had, Stu, I had, I wrestled about 27 years and I had almost 5,000 matches. Incredible. And, and I, you know, I was pretty active in the ring. You know, I did a lot of drop kicking and I, and scissors, I had scissors and bounding and stuff like that. So I, I beat up my body pretty good. And then, you know, you don't realize that when you're a young guy, you know, when you're 25 or 30 or even 35. But when you get past 40, you start realizing it. And then all of a sudden you think, oh, geez, you know, I'm going to have some problems. So, 
you know, I, I mean, most of the guys that I know, uh, God bless them, that are alive today are all, you know, hobbled up and have all had multiple surgeries and, re and, you know, knee replacements, hips, shoulders, everything. So, you know, my wife's waiting for the brain replacements too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. That, you know, thank you. Thank you. You guys putting your bodies on the line for our enjoyment, the fans. I know you've got a one to do it yourself, but especially from our end, you know, hearing that list of all the surgeries you've had, man, no, thank, thank you for, gracing our screens and, and doing that you know really like it's suffering for the art isn't it really when you put you know want to put it in that in, in that terms well you know it, it's funny because when you do it you hardly realize it because you're in shape you're doing the same thing almost every night unless you know out of a quirk deal where something happens you know if the rope breaks and you go flying through the rope and you know hit your head on the cement or break your arm or something like that but uh Generally, uh, all the guys were in great shape. You know, guys, you know, uh, during even during that heavy workload with the WWE, you know, uh, they worked out almost every day. We worked out every day and, you know, they partied quite a bit. But at the same time, they still worked out, you know, and they they a lot of them, you know, really took care of their body in terms of what, how much food they ate and what they ate. You know, a lot of overdid it with substance abuse, but that, like I say, that's part of any uh, business in any society. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to have to squint to read this one because I've done a screenshot from YouTube. I did a short yesterday just promoting the episode. And it's from Doug Mayers. It is. Jim, what is your gym workout like nowadays? It's like a two-part question. So, yeah, we'll go with that first. What's your gym okay. workout like the, these days? I work out four times a week. Uh, I'm limited. I can't do any leg press, leg curl squats because of my knees. And then I can't lift more than 20 pounds with my arms because I have this weird looking gizmo in both my shoulders that are screwed into the humerus. And, and what happens if, if I pull, if I lift up too much weight, it'll pull a the joint out of socket and then I'll have to have it redone. So what I do is I'll go in and I only work out 25 to 30 minutes. I'll, I'll go in and I'll row a uh, rowing machine or I'll do a, a recumbent bike for 10 minutes just to warm up. And then I'll do like three or four sets of, <laughs> and it's sort of embarrassing. I'll go to the seated bench press and I'll put 25 and 30 pounds on and do 20 reps and I'll do it, you know, three sets of 20. And then right from there, I'll do some uh, upright rows with 20 pounds. I'll do lateral raises with 20 pounds. I'll do bent over lateral raises with 20 pounds or less. And then from there, I'll, I'll do some tricep push downs, you know, maybe three sets of 15 or so with 25 or 30 pounds. And then I'll, I'll do uh, two or three sets of uh, sit-ups. I'll stretch a little bit and then I'll have my protein shake. and. I'm off. That's it. I'm done in 30 minutes. 
Perfect, perfect. I'm sure you appreciate that answer. And then the second part of the question from Mr. Mayers is, also, when you broke your hand in Rockford, Illinois, yes. was, that, was that at the Metro Centre? I'm from Rockford, and that's where I went to see you guys. The AWA came to Boylan High School. Yes. Well, what yeah, the WWE, I was wrestling. It was... Um... Brian and I against uh, Brutus Beefcake and Greg the Hammer Valentine. And I had a double wrist lock on Greg Valentine. And I went to take him over. And when I went to take him over, he put his hand on top of my hand and squeezed it and trying to break the hold. And his pressure on top of my pressure, I felt the, the, the inside of my hand break right in here. And, it, and, and you could hear it too. It went pop. You know, and I said, ah, shit. You know, I, I said, great. I said, I broke my goddamn hand. So I go to tag Brian and I said, I broke my hand. And he says, no, you didn't. <laughs> so I, I wrestled. Uh, let's see. I wrestled. I went home after that. I had to wait two days. And my hand swelled up and they put this cast on. I had a cast to about here. And I came with this cast and, and the killer bees won more matches with me clotheslining people with this, uh, you know, cast on my left arm than we ever did with the drop kick or whatever else, you know? So it, it, that went, and I, I think I had that uh, cast on for about mm, four or five weeks, and that was it. But, yeah, it was boiling high school. Jeez. That's good, man. That's good that you could remember that, that happening and where you well, were as well. Yeah. You're, you're lucky, Stu. I can remember anything because sometimes I'll be I'll be talking to my wife and she'll say, "What'd you say?" And I said, "What did I say?" <laughs> so maybe that's maybe that's normal in couples, you know, a conversation after you know forty eight years. So <laughs> absolutely, you know, each of it inside and out. Absolutely, absolutely. Now moving on from Twitter. It's the HWO, the Hasbro World Order. They do a lot of collecting of memorabilia figures and things like that. Great, great guys here in the UK. I think they were over at WrestleMania this past uh, April in LA as well. They went over. And it's about the new figures from Epic Toys UK. Are Jim and Brian excited for upcoming Epic Toys UK Killer Bees retro figures? We think they look great. So what do you reckon, well, Jim? Yeah, I think this... Epic took over for a company, I think it was called Chappelle or something like that, but they were out of England and it was, they went out of business and Epic bought them. And we both, Brian and I had signed a contract with that earlier company. And then when Epic uh, took over, <laughs> we haven't heard a thing. <laughs> so I, I'm looking at these, uh, you know, uh, action figures and, and hoping that they'll, you know, get in touch with us or, you know, send us a check or something. But I, I, um, I know my lawyer looked at the contract and looked at the letter and, and he just says, well, we'll just sort of wait and see, but it's always fun. You know, I mean, when you have these action figures, I have a couple action figures of uh, Greg and I, <laughs> uh, I think it was LJN and then also the, a couple uh, killer B ones. And, you know, it's sort of fun. And, you know, uh, my kids collected them. I think we have probably 30 action figures down in, in the closet. And they're all, the paints come off a lot of them, you know, especially Hulk because he won every match. <laughs> <laughs> true to life, true to life. I had 
I had the figures, I had the rings, I had the WCW ring with a cage, I had the uh, Hasbro, oh, yeah. Hasbro WF, and then when I went to my cousin's house or he came, we had four rings on the go, and then my older cousins, they had the WCW uh, ones as well, so we had mass Royal Rumbles, Battle Royals, you name it, when we came together, there's about 60, <laughs> 60, 70 figures going know, on, yeah, geez. colossal, colossal, but great times, great times, the best times for me personally, it's got to be said. Absolutely. And a final question from Justin Clapper. He is not a mark. How was the atmosphere at WCW Slamboree Legends Reunion? Any good stories from the six-man tag match? Well, I, as I remember, it was Wahoo Me and somebody else against Don Morocco and Dick Murdoch and somebody else. But And, and it was sort of fun. You know, I mean, we're all done with our careers more or less. But I got to tell you. The last match of that night was Dory Funk Jr. against Nick Bockwinkle. And they were both great champions in their own right. You know, uh, Nick was off and on AWA champion and he was a tag team champion. And then Dory Funk Jr., you know, was uh, NWA champion off and on and, and a big star in Japan. And I tell you, these two guys went in and they had a 30-minute match and they stole the show. They were incredible. And I, you know, and they were both, they were both, you know, knocking on, you know, 50 or, you know, 52 years old. And I, I, uh, a matter of fact, I don't know if you can, I'm going to see if I can put this up here. Um, Dory Funk, I had two great pictures of me drop kicking Dory Funk. And one was in the Toronto Sun paper. It was after the big event and it was uh, Hulk Hogan. And um, let's see, who was it? Hulk Hogan and uh, uh, Paul Orndorff. And this was back in like 87 or so. And Brian and I uh, worked with uh, Dory Funk and Jesse Barr, who went as... And this this picture here is a dropkick of me in Tokyo with Dory Funk. Wow. So you can Incredible. see, I yeah. Incredible. And I have another um, picture of a dropkick. And I told Dory, I saw Dory the other day. Well, the other week we were in, in a, a small show <clears throat> signing autographs. And he was there with his wife. And, you know, Dory's, I don't know, he's got to be close to 90 now. And I, I gave him that picture. And I said, I said, Dory, I said, I just want to tell you that, you know, you were one of the greatest champions, you know, uh, during wrestling, period. And I says, I just want to thank you for taking two of the greatest bumps that I ever had delivering a dropkick because he did. I don't know if he had a choice because I got him right in that jaw, but he, he you know, sold it great. And, and they were both wonderful pictures. As a matter of fact, I have this one here that I was going to show. And I'm going to just, this is a book that I wrote. And this is the picture of yes. me hitting Dory, I, and that, that was in the Toronto Sun, and and that was a great drop. That's the best dropkick picture I think I've ever had. I have another one with Nick Bockwinkle, but it wasn't in color. But there was, you know, fifty some thousand people at this show, and it was on the uh, it was in the Toronto Sun the next day. So I, I it's funny because. I get up and we're flying out of town and I grab the paper and I open up the front page and here's a picture of my dropkick. And I thought, holy Jesus, you know, 
And it took me, Stu, it took me six to eight weeks to get that photographer to send me a print. He wasn't going to do it. And I told him. <laughs> I told him, I said, don't worry, I won't sell them. You know, I won't sell them. But he he was kind enough to send them to me, and I've used it. As a matter of fact, this was a, a book I wrote about five years ago. It's Absolutely. called Matlands. I, I want to speak about Matlands as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's fine. It's fine. Carry on. It's fine. We'll, we can... Well, it was something, you know, I, I, you know, after I retired, we go out with a, a couple of different couples, and, and I invariably tell, you know, stories from the wrestling you know my wrestling world and trips and all sorts of things and weird occasions and so a friend of ours says jim you should you know write a book and i said ah, i don't know so what happened was we sort of my wife and i talked about it and she got me this little dictaphone that i could talk into and then i'd write down you know stories when I thought of them and then i'd write them down and we came up with like 45 different stories and every one of them are true and when they when you read this book, and Stu, you'll have to give me your address. I'll send you a book. Um, oh, thank you, thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. Okay, but th this book is all true, and um, people who read the book said, "Geez, you're lucky you're alive." And I said, "I know." I said, "I've, I've been very blessed, you know, because there's been a lot of times, you know, for instances, I'll, I'll tell one <clears throat> story. Wahoo McDaniel's, yeah, oh, that's my song." Uh, my Bruce Springsteen copy of his Badlands. And uh, there it is there. Uh, Wahoo, we were leaving uh, Sisseton, South Dakota, and we were going to Winnipeg. It was about 200 miles. And it was snowing like a son of a gun. And Wahoo just was made honorary chief of the Sisseton Indian tribe. So they gave him a big old war, you know, a big hit, a bonnet, you know. So, and Wahoo used to like his, he, he had everything. He, he was taking speed and he was taking painkillers. And then he'd take a little bit of booze. So when I'm driving down the road and I'm only going 55 miles an hour and it's snowing like a son of a gun and we're on Highway 29 going right to Winnipeg. And Wahoo used to talk like this. Boy, he said, I got him. Why don't you pull over right now? He said, we're never going to get there in time. He said, let me drive. And I said, Wahoo, are you okay? And he said, sure. So I get in the front seat. Rene Goulet is in the back seat. So Wahoo gets in the driver's seat, and all of a sudden, he's going 80 miles an hour in this snowstorm. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he's starting to talk, and he's, he's starting to slur like this. And all of a sudden, I see his head go down like this, and the car started doing 360s at 80 miles an hour. And I said, oh, my God. And finally, you couldn't see anything. It was just snow all over the place. And thank God there wasn't that other car on the road. We all would have got killed. So the car sort of went into the side of this snowbank. And when it did, the wheels were spinning. So I, I dove over, put the car in park, and jumped out of the uh, passenger side. And I ran over, and I was just livid. And I opened the door. I said, Wahoo, God dang it. I said, you almost killed us. And he was passed out. He was completely out. So Rene Goulet and I dragged him, put him in the back seat, and we drove to Canada and <laughs> went across the customs. <laughs> the guy says, who's in the back? And I says, Wahoo McDaniel. And the, the agent said, is he drunk? And I said, hell yeah. So he said, okay, go ahead. You know, to Winnipeg. And Wahoo, the next day, didn't even remember driving. And that's a true story. Oh, my I mean, days. it was Crazy. like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
just black out like oh my word but this this book is is i wound up writing it and then i sent the whole thing to a company called blurb b-l-u-r-b which is online and i think it's like 25 or 27 dollars and they they produce the book and they give me x amount of dollars per sale and i've done this all all along since like 2016 seven years and the reason why i haven't done it on amazon or ebay is they take so much of the profit it's hardly worth any it's hardly worth your time you know unless you sold you know 10,000 books you know i'd love to send 10,000 of these but i probably I'd probably sell in between, you know, uh, 150 and 250 books a year, you know, so it, it's, it's nice. And people that um, have, you know, read the book uh, all say that it, it, it was great stories. And, and the, the one thing they say to me, they say, Jim, you're lucky you're alive. And I said, I know. Justin Clapper has got a copy of the book. He told me this, he, he sent me a voice note this morning and he wants to say, it was signed by yourself and he will not open it because it's been signed by, because he holds you in such high regard. And you Oh, jeez, Tell me where did that guy think? He told me this morning, because he, he wanted to ask, he sent me a lot more questions, obviously, so I had to select the ones. But he said, like, I haven't read it because you've signed it, because you personally signed it. And he loves you guys from the AWA. That's why he's not opened and read it, because he, he holds you in such high esteem, Jim. Well, I tell you, I hope he opens it up because the, sh the stories are really short. And I wanted to, my one of my prized, uh, let me see if I can find it in here real quick. Uh, oh, yeah. One of my prized uh, chapters in, is uh, my uh, passion for Bruce Springsteen. And I wound up, uh, you know, I've seen Bruce 45 times. No, 44 times in 45 years in 13 cities. And um, he was kind enough to, you know, he gave my kids some guitar picks. And I've seen him, uh, uh, you know, and, and been with him backstage. And he's just been so good to us. And, and that's one of my big... Uh, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Deals, you know, from being a, a pro wrestler because, um, hang on, I'm just going to say something right here. Mernie, I'm on my podcast. I'll call you later. There we go. <laughs> what? I don't know. I'll, I'll have to check. Okay, bye. Sorry, Stu. It's all right. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's life. These things happen. It is. Hey, Jesus. Absolutely. The cat yeah. quieted down. He must have been fed. So. <laughs> 
Now, I've got some questions for you as well. I want sure. to open with... I did it differently. I wanted because the fan questions, obviously, I want them to do them first. Uh, but, yeah, I wanted to talk about, obviously, we know you for tag wrestling predominantly, but, you know, you were in singles for years with WWE. I'd forgotten how long you were still in WWF, actually, but you had your singles run as well. How how was it, you know, do, doing singles, you know, after doing tag team so predominantly? Well... You know, I like I said, I needed to work, and, and when I, you know, Vince wasn't going to do anything with me as a single match, so he used me, you know, to do jobs for some of the big heels. So I did have a match. Uh, man, I, matter of fact, I had a couple draws with Bret Hart at um, in um, Philadelphia at the Spectrum that were incredible. One in Madison Square Garden. But there's one right now that you can look on YouTube uh, with Randy Savage. And uh, Randy Savage, at this time, he had Scary Sherry was his um, valet. <laughs> so we had a match on TV, and I, can't, I think it was one of the first Raws or something like that. And the very <laughs> opening sequence, I had some uh, – let's see, did I have yeah, – no – Randy had something on me and I threw him in drop down and I hit him with the drop kick. And when I hit him with the drop kick, I hit him right in the mouth and he got up spitting blood. His lip was cut. And I thought, Oh Jesus, here we go. But we had a hell of a match. And it was funny because after the match, as we went through the curtain of the studio, Vince was there and he came up and he shook both of our hands. And he said, fellas, that was the best TV match I've ever seen. So, I don't know. He might have been blowing smoke up my ass, but at the same time, it was nice because I thought the same thing. We had a great match. And uh, there was other times that I, I worked with a couple guys and um, like Ted DiBiase, who I've known for a long time. I had a match with him in Omaha and we had a hell of a match. And then out of the clear blue sky, he cut off my uh, comeback and just, you know, wound up beating me and and i was furious i didn't talk to him again for a month or so i said you know come on i said you know jesus christ dead what are you going to be world champion or you know <laughs> but you know that's the way you know you have different personalities in pro wrestling and you know some people want to get over at any cost and some people want to get over but at the same time they want to have a good match so you know i had to i had to do that for vince i was very disappointed i it hurt me, you know, um, but hey, like Larry Henning, Larry the Axe Henning told me, he said, Jim, remember this? And I said, what's that? And he said, there is no job to be done that is too big. So I pondered that for about 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> it resonated. It resonated in the end. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. What were some of your favorite towns, at cities, you know, arenas, stadiums that you've wrestled in? Oh, I'd, love to, I'd love to ask you that. I know you've wrestled all over the world. I know there's going to be many, but, you know, maybe like three or four places and just, you know, but, getting to see places as well, you know, not just wrestling in these towns and cities. Well, Winnipeg was always a great town, AWA town in Canada for Greg and I, and, and me especially. I had a our draw with Nick Bockwinkle, and that that again is on YouTube. If you if you press YouTube, uh, Brunzel versus Bockwinkle, I think it was in 
like 81 or 82, but we had a hell of a match for an hour. But uh, Winnipeg, Denver, uh, Green Bay, uh, St. Paul, Milwaukee, um, those were all really good towns, you know, for the AWA. And then, you know, the the WWE, um, we had, you know, we wrestled in every doggone town you could think of. But, I, you know, we had a, a, a real nice following in Boston and um, Toronto. We had, we had uh, uh, some real, you know, nice matches there. And then, you know, uh, a couple other cities, you know, like uh, St. Paul and, and Tampa for Brian. And so, you know, it was spread out a little bit. Absolutely. absolutely. Now, you've alluded to your dropkick. I, I've always held your dropkick in high esteem. Often uh, duplicated, should I say, I'm getting tongue-tied here. Never replicated. But obviously, Randy Orton's got a good dropkick. Bob Holly had a decent dropkick. Dolph Ziggler. But yeah, your dropkick, man. It's got to be said it's uh, perfectly done. I know you've spoken about it earlier, but I wanted to ask as well. Well, see, I was a high jumper in high school and college. I was a two-time state champion. And... <laughs> I wound up uh, lettering for Minnesota, and I, my best jump was six, seven and a half. And I had 37-inch vertical, which was, uh, you know, they say white man can't jump, but I was uh, completely the opposite of that. And I used that to great benefit. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of kids. Barry Orton had a nice – or uh, the Orton boy uh, – Bobby's boy, the one who got hurt, he had a nice drop kick. There's a couple guys, you know, that had good drop kicks, but <clears throat> people, you know, I I know they realize, you know, I I had a I had a hell of a drop kick for 20 years, and um, I <laughs> I knocked out a couple people, but you know, and I they'd always say like Jim Neidhart, Jim Neidhart was so afraid of my drop kicks. He said, oh, Jim, you're gonna kick my teeth out, and I said, No, I'm not. I says. When you come off the rope, just put your hand like this. So I remember one time where it was it was a big match to it, and it was the Killer Bees against the Hearts, and I'm making a comeback against Jim, and I throw him in for the drop kick, and he pulls away, so he he sort of falls back, and I extend trying to hit him, and I don't hit him with the drop kick, but when I came down, the the heel of my boot hit him right here on the cheekbone and cut him open and i thought jesus christ i said i said brett get in here because he thought he he had no idea he thought i hit him with the drop kick and and opened him up so he didn't realize he pulled away and and my boot hit him as he hit the ground <laughs> so but it, it you know i was blessed and uh wound up uh you know have some great dropkick pictures and, uh, you know, uh, it was just something I could do. So, you know, if you got a, if you got a weapon in your, uh, pocket, you know, you got to use it. I shouldn't say a weapon, <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was very fortunate. You were obviously heavily involved with American football as well. I thought I'd like to ask about that. You know, did that give you a good basis did you take anything away from the football that you've got into wrestling with, or was it just well, totally, totally well, separate? Well, the the fact of it is, Stu, I wasn't good enough to play in the NFL. I tried with the Washington Redskins. I was invited to a camp down there, 
And, you know, I was 6'1", 225 pounds, and they had me a tight end, and they didn't keep any tight ends. And, and that very year, 1972, the Washington Redskins won the Super Bowl. So I remember when George Allen took us and there was 60 of us there that were trying out for this team. And he told us, he says, I'm going to tell you guys right now. He says, all you guys, you know, played in college or did this or did that or whatever, had some experience in the NFL. He says, there's going to be very few of you that gets called back for our camp in fall. So I, I just want, he said, I just want to let you know that. So it was funny because I had the fastest time we had to run on mud. It had rained that night before in the morning and it was just horrible. And I had the fastest time for tight ends at four, nine in the 40, which I I'd run before in, you know, four, six in, in college. So um, it turned out that they had kept invited back two guys from this group of people. And one was a, a kid from, uh, I think he was from Pittsburgh. His name was Herb Mulkey. And he was faster than him. He was a fast guy at this at this tryout camp. And he wound up being an all-pro punt returner that, uh, that um, 1972 team that won the Super Bowl. And then they, they invited back a quarterback from Minnesota who went to North Dakota and he was a hockey player too. His name was Jerry Troyan and he was like six, four and two twenty, and he threw a real nice football. And I think he, he might've even been on their cab squad for that year. But so, you know, I, I tried and, and I realized, you know, I'm not, I, I wasn't good enough. So I thought I'm going to go back to the university and get my degree. I had 30 credits left. And then that's when Greg approached me, called me and he says, Hey, he says, dad's going to have a, a wrestling camp. And we got Ken Patera, who just came back from the Olympics, you know, from weightlifting. And then we said, he got Kazro Vaziri, who was a Iranian champ. Shiki. Yeah, Shiki, God rest his soul. And then Bob Bruggers, who was an NFL linebacker. And then Rick Flair and myself and Greg. So <clears throat> that was the camp. And, you know, Billy Robinson beat the shit out of us every day for six days a week. You know, six weeks long and it was six hours a day god six 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 that's not a good number uh so <laughs> um i remember <clears throat> you know when we got done with that camp um it was uh quite an experience and and we we all felt you know none of us were smartened up you know we didn't know anything about you know what we were going to do or this or that or you know how in wrestling, it's an art, you know, you, you take care of your opponent. He takes care of you, you know, blah, 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 you know, you, and you, you lay them in and you work hard. So that's what we did. So it was a, 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 a great transition for me because it enabled to me to do something athletic that I could be good at and make a living at. We've heard so much about the, the camp and all you guys being there, how tough it was there. Can only, can only imagine how how was your mental state with that, and obviously what the, the drills you was doing. Obviously, you said how how long the days were. Uh, yeah, just, just well, that. see, I I took pride in my my uh, workouts, and and I was always in good shape, you know. And I remember, <laughs> and see, Billy Robinson, he was from Manchester, England, and he was a British champion, 
And he had gone to that old school of submission holds with Billy Riley and, and Carl Gotch and all these guys. So he was a, a bit of a sadist. So he would get you and he, he could grab any part of you and make you howl like a baby. I mean, or a wolf, you know, he'd hurt you. So we had to do this, you know, every day <clears throat> we go through, you know, we do, well, here's another thing. We do free squats. A lot of people say, you know, you got to work your legs. Blah, blah, blah. So we did free squats and we did 10 sets. We worked up to in a matter of six weeks, 10 sets of a hundred reps. So we did a thousand free squats about every other day. And my legs were way bigger than when I used to squat 400 and some pounds, you know, and I could feel boom. I could feel like I could jump up and hit my head on the rim. So we did that and we did, you know, wheelbarrows and all sorts of stuff. And then, and then Billy would inflict these submission holds on you, you know? And so when I, when I'd see my buddies who I played football with on the weekends, we have a couple beers, and I said, "Do you want to see this hole?" And they said, "No, <laughs> none of them wanted to see the hole because I put a couple hole, you know." And so I, I, I stopped doing that. But you know, and then it's funny because Stu, after each day, Vern would come with about twenty minutes left in the in the workout, <clears throat> and you know, Vern was a great mat guy. You know, he so. He'd jump our ass and tear us up, you know. I mean, he'd he'd spin us around and flip us over and all you know. And he did that, you know, maybe two or three times a week. So I was very glad when that camp was over. And I'll never forget my first first match. It was December 27th, uh, 1972, Fargo, North Dakota. It was at the Armory there. And I wrestled a fellow, uh, another Minnesota amateur wrestler guy. His name was Dennis Stamp. And we had a 20-minute draw. And I remember coming into the locker room afterwards, and I, I thought, God, I was mad. So I kicked the garbage can, and, you know, I acted like a fool in my first match. So Dusty Rhodes, who was the main eventer that night, he comes up to me, and, you know, Dusty used to lift a little bit, and he said, Jimmy? He said, you're, I just want to tell you right now. He said, that was a stinker of a match. And he says, don't worry about it because you're going to have a lot of more stinkers in your career. Just learn from him. And he walked away. So that was my first advice as a pro wrestler after my first match. When did you feel comfortable in the ring, you know, going into the early days? When did you feel oh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm sat I'm sat in there now, you know, about the ground in with Boom or Billy Robinson? When did you well, feel personally? I I think after about mm, close, I, I think when I went down to Kansas City because the pressure was off because I was a local kid, you know, from St. Paul, you know, White Bear Lake, you know, it's 10 miles north of St. Paul. So, you know, the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul are close. So, you know, I had a a pretty good career in, in high school and in college. And, you know, I, it, it was sort of good for me to get down in Kansas City and, and, and learn my trade, which I did. So I think after I came back from Kansas City and then I went to Japan for six weeks, <laughs> six weeks, which was a real rude awakening, you know, because I'd never been there before. I went there by myself and, and, um, learned from that. And then I came back and then, uh, they tagged Greg and I up 
as uh, 1975 as the high flyers. And, you know, the, <laughs> the sky was the limit after that. We had great talent to work with and, and did well. And then shortly thereafter, I had my first um, big match with Nick Bockwinkle. And I believe it was in 1981. And we had an hour draw uh in St. Paul and it was a hell of a match and I worked my ass off and, and Nick was about 42 at the time and he was in there step for step and I mean we had a heck of a match and that one also is on YouTube 60 minutes long I don't know if you get the YouTube over there if you put Bachwinkle well, and Brunzel you'll see we it do, we do and obviously my friend JC he will send me stuff as well but I will go I will definitely yeah, I need to watch more of the AWA. Obviously, I've seen plenty, okay. but there's, there's still there's still more to see. Because I I go back to this. I don't know. I don't think we got the territories on TV over here to to the best of my knowledge, which is a shame, really. You know, no, probably was, probably not. You know, you, you probably back, got you yeah. probably got the uh, WWE, the yeah. Ted Turner, and then you got Vince. NWA. Probably, so. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's a, it's a treasure trove for us younger guys. Watch going back and watching all this stuff you guys know pre pre WWE. It's fantastic yep. for us. I, I love I love wrestling history. I really really do. Absolutely. Well, now it's now it's sort of uh, in a muck because, like I say, everything's the same in the WEW and the WWE. So it's hard for me to watch. I try not to critique it, but um, some guys I've seen work in in. Um, uh, the young Orton kid, I consider good. Uh, Jeff Owens, I consider very good. There's a couple of guys in there, you know, and there's probably a lot more. I just don't watch it. But, um, you know, I, I just wish them good careers and tell them to save their money and, you know, protect one another. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think some more tips and advice for young talents, like because UK, UK is flourishing, you know, with the independents. Uh, it's it, sold out shows and stuff like that. Some some tips from from you, man. That I know they'd like to take stuff on board from a guy like yourself who's in the well, business for so many years and at a top level. The first thing you have to realize that it, it is a business. So in order for you to be a good businessman, you have to take care of your body. You have to take care of your body. You have to work out. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for, you know, performance enhancing drugs. You know, the steroids were huge in, in, in the WWF when I was in there in the middle 80s. And, and you know, they've shown their head, you know, in, in all sports. And uh, they do, you know, provide you with an opportunity to gain muscular weight. You have to work out. You have to eat good. But I, I think that if guys, you know, just take care of their bodies and learn, you know, be willing to learn and be willing to accept criticism and then realize that wrestling is an art and it's an art against good and evil. You know, you can have two good guys and wrestle each other and there'll be a good match and you can have two bad guys wrestle each other and and one of them will be a fan favorite, maybe. So, you know, that's my advice, you know, and just uh, take care of yourself and and uh, take care of your family. Family first. Do you think guys are rushed into the business from your 
point of view? Do you think guys need need to be trained longer instead? Do you think in that in that respect? Say about the dangers of this, especially with some UK promotions. I've heard Whitrins that uh, guys aren't trained correctly, and that, that's da- that's dangerous. What are your thoughts on that with guys in the business? Well, see, like any business, there's a lot of charlatans, um, Stu and. The main thing is to go where somebody is reputable, you know, and, you know, like when I was around, I mean, they had Harold Matsuda in Florida who trained, you know, Brian Blair and a lot of guys in Florida. Then you had the Funks and the Von Erics in Texas, and then you had the Watts in Oklahoma, and then you had the Ganyas, you know, in Minnesota. And um, it's, you just have to have a reputable guy who knows what he's doing you know, I mean, there's so many of these fly-by-night guys that say, yeah, I can make you a pro wrestler. <laughs> They're not, you know. And then, you know, you watch, you can see as soon as they go in the ring that they don't know what they're doing. And they're going to learn by mistakes. That's the way you learn. And then hopefully they don't learn by mistakes that lead to injuries. So, um, you know, I know there's a lot of wannabes, you know, people see – guys on TV and they say, oh man, I want to be a pro wrestler. I'm going to be a superstar. I'm going to drive a you know big car and I'm going to have girls hanging on me and I'm going to be this and that, you know, and it, it doesn't happen that way. You know, it could, you know, there's only one Hulk Hogan and, um, you know, if, if my best advice to somebody is if you want it bad enough, you'll, you'll, you'll make it uh, true. You'll make it happen, but it's going to take a lot of hard work and dedication and, um, you know, discipline. Absolutely. No, no sound advice. Thank you, Jim. I know the younger guys will take this on board. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll tell you what as well, uh, it's going to be the biggest show in the UK next month. I don't know if you're aware of this. AEW are coming to Wembley Stadium. I heard that. Nearly 80,000 tickets sold, considering the company, wow. you know, the company's only been going since 2019, Jim, very much in its infancy. But obviously the cons, you know, they've been around sport. They get they get the entertainment side, don't they? They've got the TV deals, obviously, with TNT over there as well. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you reckon to that, that the UK show's nearly sold out and they're only four years old as a company? Well, um First of all, you got that uh, Mr. Khan, who's probably worth three times as much as Vince McMahon, so money's not an object. And um, they have they have nice talent there. And um, <laughs> I I know the um, the ball headed manager. I can't think of his name right now. That guy, Don Callis. Don Callis. Don Callis. Yes, he was. Uh, a matter of fact, I wrestled him in Winnipeg out on a parking lot of a big grocery store, one of my last matches. And he wanted to learn so bad. And he actually, he was he was very good. And he's done excellent as far as being a manager. And, you know, he, I, I remember him as a good-looking kid. He had nice hair and everything. Now I see him and he, he's bald-headed and she's – but, you know, he's he's got a good gig and, and uh, you know, so I, I think that um, the AEW is going to, you know, they have 
a definite audience, you know, and I think, you know, the fact that they've sold 80,000 tickets there, you know, more power to them. And uh, hopefully it'll be a great night for wrestling. I have I, a ma- sorry, sorry. You no, go, you go uh, first. Uh, what, what's the date of it? It's coming it's up, like, isn't it? Sunday, Sunday, August 27th, which is a bank holiday here in the UK. So it's on the Sunday. They're obviously doing stuff on the Saturday conventions and stuff like that. Uh, I, I can't get that. I'd love to go on the Saturday, but my line of work, I just can't have Saturday, Sunday off bank holiday. But I'll be there. Yeah. I'll be there for Sunday on the show because I was at SummerSlam 92. <clears throat> I was at the last big show there. And my dad taught me I was six years of age. So I was like, I've got to go to this because it's the biggest show since 1992 on these shores, Jim. Wow. You well, know, it'll be, it'll be big. It's it's not just the Brits, you know what I mean? The French are going to come over, the Germans, the Dutch. It's I I, I got poo pooed at some Americans, not all Americans. It won't sell more than 50,000. And I told them it'll be close to a sellout. I told them this. They they weren't having it. They were we're a different we're a different beast over here. I think in terms of that, we've still got you've still got the staunch fan base in the UK, Jim. Oh yeah, I agree. You know, and, you know Europe. I mean. I, you know, this is still a, a, a growing novelty for them because they've had the WW, you know, in, in, you know, F or WWE, and then they've had different, you know, German wrestling and and European wrestling and and British wrestling, but they they haven't had you know the big AEW, you know. I mean, it, good for them, and and I hope it's a great show. I'll be anxious to see. You know, I I I know that. You know they'll they'll probably have a, a real nice show and and uh, I, I'm trying to think who is the main event. I they, can't they remember. Ha- they must have. They ha- Do you know what? This is weird. Uh, it's funny you say this because it's very current with it. They haven't announced any matches. Okay. I, I heard it could be Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay for the third time, which would be a brilliant. Uh, they, they've said it could be John John Moxley and Omega because obviously the two factions were going at it. Me sure. Person- me personally, I'd give it to Will Ospreay because he's British and have him in Kenny. Sure, but, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily align with the storylines at the moment because <clears throat> they've come away from the second match. I don't. It's interesting, you know. It gets you talking, doesn't it? Well, I would think that if they have a British wrestler, they they better put him there on the main event because that's going to add to the draw. There's no question about it, and, and that's a hands down deal for me. You know, if even if it's a semi-main event or a double main event, it, it's well worth it. But th- their second bout at the the, the pay-per-view at Double or Nothing in Vegas. Oh no, no, is it Forbidden Forbidden Door? Sorry, when they got New Japan in. Um, it, it's for me personally, uh, match match of the year. The forty minutes didn't feel like forty minutes, Jim. It, well, that's it, great, and it, it, and flew, you, it flew by. It well, flew you know, by. forty minutes is a long time now for. You, these matches because I, I've you know I very seldom have heard I've never seen the matches but I never have heard a match going over thirty minutes in the WWE mm-hmm. or the AEW you know mm-hmm. I mean they might go thirty maybe but I remember you know and and they you know the AWA used to have sixty minute matches and uh, Vince didn't like that he he wanted to get as much bang for his <laughs> the dollar. So he thought, geez, an hour long match, I can get four matches in there and I can, uh, you know, sell eight different uh, uh, favorable, you know, stars, their paraphernalia. So 
But well, I, I'll be curious to see how it does, Stu. And I hope you have. I hope everybody has a good time. Oh, it's going to be incredible. You know what? The Brit, we're, we're crazy. The Brits, we're crazy over here. I'll tell you how it'll be. <laughs> there'll be, be a lot of drinking. There'll be a lot, of alcohol, a lot of alcohol down in London. I've not been down to London in years either. <laughs> so it's it's going to be one of them, man. It's just you have to. I've had to go to it. I was like, I was there. I was there in '92, but SummerSlam, you know, it's just, it's got to be done. It's got to be done. Well, Absolutely. You know, Stu, I've never been to Europe. I've been to Japan six or eight times, and I was in Australia, and I was in Malaysia and uh, Borneo and Singapore. Never did get to make the European trip. Oh. I was scheduled a couple times, but Vince fired me. So I'm surprised. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised. yeah, I know. Well, here's the deal. My wife and I and a, another couple of our friends are going on a cruise in late October, and we're going to go through Europe. We're going to land in Heathrow, and then we're going to go uh, 15 cities in 22 days, and we're going to be on the Princess Cruise Line. So we wind up in Rome and we're going to be in Rotterdam and I think London and, and all different sorts. So I'm looking forward to that first time. So we've been reading up on, you know, places to go and see. So yeah, anxious man. to do that. It'd be nice to have you in, yes. man. Abs absolutely. Absolutely. Now, before we go, I'd just like to promote Matlin's again, the autobiography. Okay. Your autobiography. Let's, let's plug away. We've got to plug these things. Well, here it is again. And the, the Matt Lyon song is more or less available for me. but <laughs> And that's a Bruce Springsteen uh, Badlands, which I rewrote the words to my wrestling. And uh, G.B. Layton, who is a uh, rock and roll artist in the Twin Cities, who's been around for 20 years, big friend of, uh, friend of and friend of Bruce's, uh, recorded it. And... Um, and the book, like I say, is av uh, available on Blurb, B-L-U-R-B. And they've been uh, very kind to me. And that that picture, that front page picture is uh, my dad was in the Navy, flew Air Sea Rescue. So this was in 1956. And we were in the uh, Marshall Islands in a atoll called Kwajalein. And we lived in a little house there in the the atoll, the island Kwajalein, was a, a mile and a half long and a half, and a half a mile wide, and it was nothing but coral. So we stayed there. No school. I was only going to be in you know kindergarten for one year. We were there. So just one of the unique experiences. And um, yeah, so I, 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 Stu, I really want to thank you for having me on. I, I enjoyed it. Anytime, okay. Jim. Anytime. Not a problem. I've lived here and I've lived Hearing about obviously the story, and do you know what? The first match and the first VCR VHS tape I had was the 1988 Survivor Series. Obviously, you were on one of the teams in that, so I always remember oh, seeing yeah. you. That was the first time I knew of Jim Brunzel. I was probably about three or four. Uh, it would have been, oh, a couple of, it would have been wow. about. A, it would have been a couple of years after you know I got I really got into it. It was like 1990. Okay. That was the first tape, the second annual Survivor Series that you were on, man. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, listen, like I say, after we're done, you know, send me your mailing address and I'll send you one of my autograph books. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Before we go, Jim, can I just have a little plug for Stu's wrestling podcast from yourself? Sure. Before you go. Okay. Before. Let me see. Fans, 
in England, Wales, wherever you are over in Europe, you got to listen to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. Probably the very best. Don't miss it. Thank you very much, Jim. My okay. guest my guest today for episode 153 of Stu's Wrestling wow. Podcast. WWE, AWA, obviously territories as well that you wrestled in. You wrestled across the world. It's Mr. Jumping Jim Brunzel, legend of wrestling. Thank you so much for coming on, man. What an absolute blast having you on. Thanks, Stu. God bless. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.